think we're going to do a job on them. And Did you stop? I would More? say 15. To 20? No, 15-ish, but like a solid back-in-your-box type moment. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. The Six Nations show on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Penultimate weekend of this year's championship. Welcome along to the Six Nations show. Ireland aiming to keep their Grand Slam bid on track with a victory at Scotland on Sunday. It is a weekend where Andy Farrell's team could be crowned champions with a week to spare. But for Scotland, a huge opportunity for them to secure a first triple crown in 33 years. France will be seeking their first Six Nations win at Twickenham since 2007. That was also the year, the last time that Italy overcame Wales in Rome. The Azuri, though, are looking to make it back-to-back victories against the Welsh, having shocked them 22-21 at the Principality last year. The Six Nations show is brought to you by Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Delighted to say that Keen Tracy and Michelle Claffey are with us. Folks, how are you getting on? Hi guys, how are you doing? All good, Will. Just arrived in Edinburgh to the sun. Uh, the snow nearly stopped me getting here, but thankfully got here in one piece eventually. Right, so Keen, you missed the Scottish press conference due to the travel issues that you had this afternoon, but probably no great surprises with the Scottish team if we're going to start with that, given that there was suspension. The um, second row was obviously going to have to change. So we've got Johnny Gray coming in there and Jack Dempsey has come in at number eight. But generally, this is probably what we were expecting from a Scottish team who've been very impressive in the Six Nations so far. Yeah, I suppose it says a lot that you were kind of expecting this team. It just shows how settled they are. I think they've picked the pretty much the same back line in throughout the whole tournament. And like you said, um, they probably wouldn't have made the change only but for suspension. I'm maybe a little bit surprised that they haven't gone with Hamish Watson from the start. Um, they've picked three strong ball carriers in their back row. I think Hamish Watson is outstanding around the break. And I think that's definitely an area that Scotland are going to look to get after Ireland. I mean, it's almost become a cliche at this stage, but if you slow Ireland's ball down, it stops them doing what they do best. So um, there'll definitely be, be a big emphasis on Jamie Ritchie, I think, going to the open side as captain as well. And with Jack Dempsey coming in, they've plenty of firepower in, in that back row, but the, the Irish back row looks well matched to it, I'd have to say, Will. Yeah, fullback Stuart Hogg will win his 100 cap going into the Century Club on Sunday afternoon as well. But no great surprises aside from those two changes. Um, Michelle, this is a Scotland team who have been very impressive throughout the Championship, though. We've said before that sometimes there's a big performance, like with England in recent years, it's not necessarily backed up. But first time since the mid-90s that they've won the first two games in the tournament. Here they are potentially winning a first Triple Crown since 1990. And even in defeat against France last time out, this is a Scottish team that went out in their shields. They've backed up all the performances since that first weekend. Yeah, I think the way the the notice around this game is that it's all about Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. And Scotland are just sitting there in second place at the minute. And like uh, Keane said, I'm surprised Hamish Watson isn't starting, but they have consistency in selection in the front row, same back line. Um, so, yeah, Scotland are not to be kind of dismissed just yet. And just not talking about an Ireland Grand Slam. Like Scotland are here to play. And I think on Sunday, it's going to be a big game in Scotland. Sometimes there's an argument going around at the moment, Michelle, and maybe this is us trying to dampen down expectations with the way that Ireland have started and uh, potentially winning a Grand Slam, that arguably of the two games that they have left, England to come on St. Patrick's weekend in Dublin, this might be the more difficult of the two fixtures they're set to play. 
Yeah, definitely Scotland are kind of in there to cause a disruption this year and like it's, it's a prequel uh, for the game in the World Cup later on in the year. So uh, Scotland will be there to upset it but also kind of put their foot down that they've been a very consistent team throughout the Six Nations so far and even the glimpses uh, towards the end of the England game, like Finn Russell was playing superbly in part of that game. He was just dragging England from side to side and it was just unbelievable to see and if he plays like that again on Sunday... Who knows how Ireland will cope with the defensive system, especially with a new centre partnership again, Bunduaki back in there and um, Robbie Henshaw back on the bench. Yeah, Keem, when it comes to Finn Russell, understandably, all the Irish players have been asked about trying to stop him throughout the week. We'd run Nogara on OTBM this morning and he was saying potentially something that might actually hurt Scotland and Finn Russell here is the amount of rugby that Finn Russell has had to play in the last while. You know, Rassinger trying to milk as much rugby as they possibly can from him before he goes to Bath for next season. He had a very difficult game with them last weekend and now he has to come back out and play in the Six Nations. So while a lot of the Irish players have had their feet up on two of the last three weekends, Finn Russell has been going out out to battle in France in between these matches for Scotland yeah I suppose it's similar enough to what Johnny Sexton was doing a few years ago and you know they, like you said the French clubs pay a lot of money to have you there and they want to get every last drop out of you so it's no real surprise he didn't play in the the, the first fallow week I'm pretty sure but the last week's game against Toulouse was obviously just so important in terms of the top 14 so yeah that could be a bit of an advantage but I think there's a bit of a a danger and a risk of focusing too much on Finn Russell. I think what Scotland have done very well this season is actually kind of similar to what Ireland have worked so hard on doing in terms of taking the, I suppose, the reliance off Johnny Sexton. I think it was George Ford said it a, a couple of years ago in 2019 that if you stop Ireland, you stop Johnny Sexton. And I don't really think that's as much as the case. Obviously, Sexton is hugely important, but Ireland have so many playmakers around him. And that's something that Gregor Townsend, I think, has done really, really well if you look at the centre partnership that they have now with Sione Tupilotto and Hugh Jones, who's been just a, a player reborn, I think, you know, he was out of the Scottish setup for so long and he's come back in. And I think that takes a lot of the pressure off um, Finn Russell because if Ireland, and I'm sure they won't be naive enough to to do this, but if they were to just put all their focus on Finn Russell, then Tui Pilato has shown that he's a playmaker. He can carry the ball hard. He's got a lovely passing game. He's got a brilliant kicking game, as he showed against England, to create the try for Hugh Jones. And then Hugh Jones outside him is absolutely electric in terms of his pace. So I think that's been a really important development in terms of this Scottish team. So while Finn Russell is obviously the one pulling the strings he's got guys outside him even in terms of scrum half um, White who's come in you know like he's overtaken Ali Price who was a lion not that long ago so um, it just all points to the point I made at the start in terms of having such a settled squad but it's the balance around them as well like I mean you look at the threat that they have on the wing in terms of Duane van der Merwe coming off with Kyle Stain and you mentioned Will uh, Stuart Hogg, a massive occasion for him over here on Sunday. So um, there is a risk, I think, of focusing too much on Finn Russell. While he is capable of pulling a rabbit out of a hat, I think he's got guys around him who are also very, very capable. Michelle, to ask you about the Irish centre partnership, you mentioned that Gary Ringrose comes back in for his 50th appearance and you've got Bundyaki who's going to be beside him. Robbie Henshaw is on the bench, potentially comes off to get his first minutes of the championship, which I'm sure would be very welcome from an Irish perspective with the lack of rugby he's had since last summer. But that Irish team, how important is it? You can give us an insight as a former international centre yourself to have Gary Ringrose back in and fit for this game because Brian O'Driscoll has been speaking to us a few times about just how much his defending has come on, his reads have come on over the last couple of years. How vital is he to that Irish midfield? Like Gary Ringrose is 
the key player in the defensive setup for Ireland because, like you said, his read of the game has come on so much of the past couple of years. But he's there as well to kind of stop that threat outside uh, on the wings from Scotland, but also put Hugh, to stop Hugh Jones in the attack because he's at a top try scorer at the minute in the championship. So for him to kind of control the midfield and get more game time either with Bundy or else with uh, Robbie Henshaw when he comes on just to get minutes together because it is a partnership and they need to understand what they're doing and what their role is. It's, uh, like Especially if they're splitting both sides of the pitch, who goes what side. And like you don't have time to think. You just have to know that that person's gone to do their job and you just ha- get consistency with Gary Ringo's on the pitch, and it's just he's, his display of rugby and his understanding of it is unbelievable. And um, so I'm really looking forward to see him against Hugh Jones on Sunday. Yeah, the full Irish team then for anyone who might have missed it earlier today. So Johnny Sexton, Gary Ringrose, Tyg Furlong all in to start for the game against Scotland at Murrayfield as they look to beat the Scots for the 20th time in the Six Nations era. Ringrose and Sexton back from the injuries which saw them miss the game against Italy last time out two weeks ago. First appearance of the campaign as well for Tyg Furlong. Six changes in all from the game in Rome. Dan Sheehan replaces Ronan Kelleher at hooker. Peter Manny is in for Jack Conan in the back row. Connor Murray comes in at scrum half. Jameson Gibson-Park will be fit for a place on the bench and Robbie Henshaw as I mentioned among the replacements looking to get his first minutes of this year's championship Uh, Keen to look at some of those changes Peter Manny was on the show with us last night and he spoke about how difficult it is to get a place in this Irish back row and the competition between all of them and how it's bringing them all forward Uh, a little bit earlier today you would have probably been in the air at the time but Andy Farrell was talking about the fact that he is to pick a back row which he feels is the right balance for matches and he said he felt bringing Peter Manny in getting Caelan Doris back at the base at number 8 is the right decision for Scotland here yeah, I would fully agree. I, I actually think like it's considerably Ireland's first choice back row at the moment. I know Jack Coleman has come in, you know, against Italy, but my problem with that is when you're switching Caelan Doris from number eight to the blind side number six, I just don't think he has um, as much of an influence on the game. And you're talking about it, that potential generational talent here. So I just think you've got to play Caelan Doris in his best position. And that's without a doubt number eight. And like Peter O'Mahony is so, so important to to that back row. Like I've actually been speaking to him this week as well for a piece tomorrow. And like, he's just one of these players, like it happened to Rob Kearney at the end of his career. Uh, it's happened to Conor Murray throughout his career over the last few years. Like people get so excited about the next, you know, the next shiny kind of exciting young player breaking through. And they actually just kind of tend to disregard the importance of the the kind of the guy who's been there and done that. And like Peter O'Mahony is a bit of a glue player, I would say. Um, in 2019, uh, Joe Schmidt called him a big moments player. And I think that's a really, really apt description of him. So while Caelan Doris is the one and Josh van der Fleer, obviously, is a world player of the year, like they're the ones who get a lot of the headlines. It's Peter O'Mahony who's knitting it all together. And, you know, he's allowing other guys to flourish. So it might not be the most glamorous role, but it's really, really important. So um, I think the back row picks itself, to be honest, Will. Um, like, I think Ryan Baird, like I said, is coming on and like really, really making a go for it. Like, but he's actually covering second row, obviously, again this weekend. So um, it's a good place for, for Ireland to be in, to be that settled. Like, that was the back row who performed so brilliantly in the summer tour last year. And they performed really well this season as well. So, um, yeah, like I said, I just think playing Caelan Doris is the key to all that. But having O'Mahony there to link it all together is, is so important as well. Yeah, like Michelle, that's a rising star in Ryan Baird. Whichever position he ends up playing, whether it's going to be in the back row or in the second row. In this case, with Tyg Byrne uh, being injured, he's very much covered for the second row here too. But Peter Manny's experience, not to be underestimated in any way. This is a guy who's part of the leadership group. He's very good at the set piece. I am sure that he is probably absolutely crucial, even if these young books are coming in to try and take his place at the moment. 
I think it's his presence um, and also his experience and even the knowledge around the pitch. And like younger players can learn from older players, but sometimes you just need the cuteness of an older player uh, to get you out of bother sometimes. And to be honest, when he gets a turnover at those crucial moments, it's his body language. So everyone else reacts to him. And that kind of lifts the team from any point where they might have been, whether they're on the crest of a wave or on the way back down, it brings the momentum back again. And throughout any game he's played for Munster or for Ireland, that's what he does. He swings the games. He knows the moments. Uh, similar to Ty Byrne, like they understand the laws of the game um, and they know not to give away the penalties or what to do not to give away the penalties. Um, probably on the line, but the refs, <laughs> the refs are there to manage that. So um, Peter Manny was in talking to us last year presenting his jerseys before one of our games and just to get the insight from him was incredible and just kind of what he's done to Elon Gage's uh, career, I suppose. Um He's just been, he's an immense player and like I could have listened to him all day. He just has such knowledge and a passion for the game and it comes through and that's what you want for the younger players to learn from him um, and what to do in certain situations. Yeah, Keen, another very experienced Munster player coming back into the team is Conor Murray and at the start of this championship we were wondering what Murray's role was going to be. Uh, Jameson Gibson's park injury just before the Wales game probably changed the role for that. I thought he came in, started the championship off very well in that Welsh game. And in this case, he's been rewarded with a start coming directly in for this game away from home against Scotland. And Jameson Gibson Park is there as a different option from the bench this week. Yeah, it goes back to my earlier point, Will. I just think like Conor Murray has just been written off like far too easily over the years. And like, like Peter O'Mahony, like time and time again, he bounces back. And I think he's been really, really good in the Six Nations so far. I think it says a lot that Ireland have like like you know Ireland haven't been talking about how much they're missing James and Gibson Park and you know like how good he is and the tempo that he brings. Conor Murray has been bringing plenty of that over the games that he's played. So I think that speaks to a lot. And, you know, like it's worth mentioning as well, like the personal circumstances that he's gone through over the last few weeks like, are just so, so difficult to imagine. Like how he turned up and played in that France game um, with what was going on off the pitch was just remarkable and spoke volumes, I think, about the, the character of the guy. And even just away from that, like his performances are, are, you know, fully worthy of a start this weekend. And it also sends, I think, a really positive message to the squad because, I mean, if Jameson Gibson Park was to come back in, even ahead of Craig Casey, who I thought did well in Rome last time out as well. So if Jameson Gibson Park was to come back and I do still believe that Jameson Gibson Park is the first choice scrum half, but if he'd come straight back into the team without having played in the Six Nations so far when the other two lads had been going well, it doesn't really send, I would say, the, the, the best message. So uh, I think it's a smart decision. Conor Murray fully justifies keeping the jersey and there's no real re- need to risk Jameson Gibson Park from the start. But if you look at the quality of that bench... Um, as a whole will uh, like James Gibson Park's going to come on whatever 55, 60 minutes if everything goes according to plan the quality and the tempo of that Ireland bench that they can bring on I think could be a real real telling factor if the game is close which I think a lot of us are expecting it will be but like you look at the calibre of like Robbie Henshaw to come back Jack, Jack Conan Ryan Baird who I already mentioned was outstanding off the bench in Roman was probably unlucky not to get a start but it's just so hard to get into this Ireland team at the moment like Tom O'Toole has been a revelation I would say so far in the Six Nations Ronan Kelleher like these guys are just top class players to bring on so that could be a real real crucial factor and with Jameson Gibson Park the one supplying them all uh, that could be what swings the game in Ireland's favour in the end 
Yeah, the Ireland team in full then. Fullback Hugh O'Keenan, uh, Mac Hansen is going to be on one wing, James Lowe on the other. Midfield is Gary Ringrose and Bundyaki. Halfback combination, Johnny Sexton coming back in to captain the team with Conor Murray at scrum half. Then you've got a front row of Andrew Porter, Dan Sheen and Tyg Furlong, uh, the returning Tyg Furlong. Ian Henderson in the second row alongside James Ryan, who was captain last time out. And then the back row of Peter Manny, Josh van der Fleer and Caelan Doris. The bench is Ronan Kelleher, Keane Healy, Tom O'Toole, Ryan Baird, Jack Conan, Jameson Gibson Park, Ross Byrne and Robbie Henshaw Um, Michelle when it comes to some of those players getting back in to get game time in a way it's been a useful thing that some of these injuries came around because players have been exposed and I think Finley Bealham definitely is one of those players who has uh, benefited from the fact that Tyke Furlong wasn't available from the start so he was able to get more valuable championship minutes at tight head during the tournament but it's probably Andy Farrell welcoming the fact that he'll get game time into Tyke Furlong and into Robbie Henshaw particularly over the next couple of weeks now yeah, because if the Irish manager hadn't picked a tight furlong or hadn't picked um, Robbie Henshaw from the very start, people would be given out. Um, so it's it's important to understand that players need minutes coming into games and you can't keep relying on the same players all the time. So yes, timely for them to have a break, but delighted to get them back into the squad for the last few games, especially with kind of the impending summer and rugby World Cup. Um, it's important that these players really kind of get the, the minutes now at international rugby so that they can see how they're getting on in their return. Um, well, definitely for uh, Ty Furlong, it's fantastic to see him back, especially straight into a starting jersey. Again, he's a person that kind of can bring the energy onto a pitch for them. Yeah, probably indicates as well that the Irish coaching team were saying he was very close to coming back if he's able to start straight away. Keen, the other uh, decision to be made really was at hooker and the three hookers have now had a chance to play uh, throughout the tournament so far. But obviously Andy Farrell feels that Dan Sheehan is the man for the occasion this weekend. Yeah, and I think that's the right call, Will. I think it's hard to hard to argue with it. I mean, Ronan Keller's like season last year was just so like hit by injury and he kind of paid the price for that really because it allowed Dan Sheehan to get a march in him. And, you know, like Dan Sheehan was so important to winning the series in New Zealand and that's obviously no fault of Ronan Keller, but that's just sometimes the way it goes. And it's I think it's taken Ronan Keller maybe a little bit of time to to get back up to, to full speed but like what a luxury to have and Rob Herring of course like has been such a reliable guy to call upon as well but in terms of the, the top two it's hard to argue between um, Dan Sheehan and Ronan Kelleher but I would say Sheehan it's not just like his line out ability it's what he brings um, around the pitch like we saw particularly in that Wales game when he gets into the wider channels he, he looks like a winger at times like blistering pace like so powerful uh, really really athletic for, for Hooker and this is just the way of the modern game I think it was interesting um he had James Tracy on with the uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was saying that Ronan Kelleher is probably the, the better scrummager, I think, um, of the two, which is which is really interesting because obviously I certainly don't know uh, what's going on in that front row between them. But uh, so we've taken James Tracy's word like it's that's a really like important balance, you know, particularly when you're coming up against the, the bigger team. So like I wouldn't be surprised if um there's potentially a bit of rotation between the the team that plays this weekend and going into the England game uh, next Saturday, particularly with a six-day turnaround. England are going to have an extra day to prepare. And like Hooker could be one of those positions that you'd look at because if Ronan Kelleher was to come in uh, next week, you know, it would certainly wouldn't weaken the team at all. So um, I think that the, bat- the battle between the two of those guys over the next, whatever it's going to be, 10, 12 years, fingers crossed if they stay fit, could be one of the most exciting that we've seen in Irish rugby, really, because like if they both hit their potential, Ireland you know, could have two of the best hookers in the world on their hands. So what? Like that's an, that sounds like an unbelievable statement, even as I'm saying it, but that's the reality of it, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, this weekend, Michelle, it's difficult not for, for Ireland fans not to go into this with a sense of they really should be winning. Because if you look at the run that Ireland are on at the moment, they've won 10 of the last 11 matches in the Six Nations. They've won the last six in a row, scoring four plus tries in the last six matches in the Championship, which is an incredible run, um, going back to the best in the, that's been seen in the Championship since 2003 uh, by any team. And England went on to win that World Cup. Uh, you look at the fact that Ireland have got an imposing record against Scotland, 19 wins out of 23 matches. We can remember the days it's gone wrong against Scotland, like the Dan Parks penalty at Croke Park. But generally, Ireland have dominated this fixture. They've won the last six against Scotland as well. I'm not thinking that there's complacency in any way about the team going into this, but is it perfectly understandable, Michelle, that fans will be, I I think, feeling that Ireland will go and actually deliver this weekend? I think just in general, Irish rugby, like people are very excited. They're very, I suppose, enjoying it at the minute and everything's going quite well across uh, the provinces and across international rugby. So the expectation for winning is there because uh, Ireland's winning. So why wouldn't they win the next game? However, we have to look at individual players and all the individual players are playing so well. Like, And there's a depth there that if you take out one player and you replace him with another, it's not weakening the team because the way that Andy Farrell has created his squad, he has depth and quality and knowledge. It's not that uh, you're reluctant to make any changes. He's able to make changes. He was able to start Ross Byrne last week. Johnny Sexton's back in this week. Um, so it's all positive and they're actually using the Six Nations as a, a chance to give other players a, an opportunity to get minutes under their belt. And so it's not, you're not playing the same 15 every week. And I think the experience and the value that Peter Manny brings to a team is evident after he was kind of changed around and Caelan Doris belongs at, at eight. Um, and you just kind of see that the natural places for players. Yes, we've excellent back rows and yes, we've excellent players, but sometimes some just fit better than others. This team selection, I think, looks like the strongest that Ireland have probably picked since the New Zealand tour for starting a game. And um, the only thing is, Akeem, when it goes into this weekend, is how close the matches have been between Scotland and Ireland. I think this is going to be another arm wrestle this weekend. And the Scots will probably point out to me seven of the last eight matches where the teams have met, it's been a one score game between the teams. Stuart Hogg doesn't drop the ball at the Aviva Stadium a few years ago. Scotland kick off that campaign with a win. Generally, despite Ireland coming out on top in these games in the Six Nations, we've had quite a few tight ones recently. Yeah, and Johnny Sexton was talking about this yesterday, saying that this is you know the best Scottish side that he's ever faced. And I don't think that was lip service. I think they truly believe that. And look, Scotland are justifiably being talked about in that breath. But I don't know if it's just like the Irish kind of psyche or what, but we just hate kind of being the favourites, but like this Irish team have earned the like they've earned their place as the number one ranked team in the world. And not that I put a huge amount of stock in that, but like any team who goes to New Zealand and wins a series down there, you know, deserves to go into games like this um, as favourites and feeling confident. And there is a fine line between being confident and arrogant. And I certainly don't think anyone within or around the Ireland squad is being arrogant about you know what's at stake this weekend, but. If you look at it in black and white, and if you go through it player by player, this Ireland team are a better team than Scotland. That's not to say on the day in front of a unbelievably packed uh, emotional crowd in at Murrayfield, which is going to be Stuart Hogg's 100 cap, throw all that into it. Anything can happen on the day, but all things being equal, Ireland should win this game, Will. Yeah, I would agree with that. Michelle, a final word on Scotland, how efficient they are. 
no team has scored more points going into the 22 against opposition during this Six Nations. So generally, Scotland are happy enough to soak up pressure. We saw that model very much at Twickenham earlier this year. But if you've got players like Duan van der Merwe who can beat plenty of people on the counter-attack, this Scotland team can be incredibly dangerous, even if they don't have the ball for large stages of the game. Transition though from Ireland into attack to defence is excellent and the scramble and like if Hugo Keenan there is able to manage the backfield no problem. Um, potentially uh, they're big players out in the wing versus Mackens and versus James Lowe. Um, that could be one area but I'd back them and they have the touchline there so just use that as an extra defender. Very exciting though to look forward to Sunday. Let's look forward to Twickenham tomorrow. Michelle, this is a big call which has been made by the English coaching team. Owen Farrell had been backed a couple of weeks ago. Marcus Smith goes back to playing with his club. Now, they will probably argue they wanted to get minutes into Marcus Smith and it was important for him to be, you know, fit and ready for this game against France. But then Bortwick makes that decision to put Marcus Smith back in and instead of us talking about a potential double playmaker situation, Owen Farrell is now on the bench, Ford is not picked and they've made that decision to put Marcus Smith in at number 10. Does it get to a point now, Michelle, where they have to back Marcus Smith at 10 if this is what they want to do? Because the World Cup is coming around so quickly now. There's a fact of back in Marcus Smith, but also not putting down Owen Farrell. He's the captain and he was selected as captain for the Six Nations. And I don't understand why you don't want two playmakers on a pitch um, unless it's a, a thing that they're not working well together and you want to see different combinations. But you're playing against France. Why wouldn't you want to start your, your best team? In my opinion, Owen Farrell is, is excellent on the pitch and he's a leader and he makes good decisions. Um, England definitely have to start back on Marcus Smith if they see the future as him. Um, but at the minute, I'm unsure what their vision is for it. And I understand Steve Portrick's just in, but he needs to kind of back himself on team selection and either stick up marks and keep him in or not. Yeah, like it's a far from ideal situation for Bortwick coming in so far down the journey towards the World Cup to have just months to prepare for and you're coming in and probably trying to fix holes here and there within the team. But for me, it seems entirely fundamental who's going to play at 10 and if Owen Farrell is going to be the 12 you need to probably give them time together to try and build that partnership together and then you look back at the Scotland game and very much the feeling was afterwards it has to be Farrell or Smith there's no way you can actually get them both in would you pick them both would you pick one which way would you go well, Owen Farrell's asked, I think, uh, what he himself as, and he sees himself as an out-half. I'd have Marcus Smith in every day uh, with Owen Farrell because I suppose Marcus brings something that you just don't know what he's going to do and Owen brings a bit of calm about the situation. So the two of them together could create something wonderful for England to attack off and also have a good bit of kind of offset piece. Marcus do what he wants and Owen can kind of bring down the, the calm to and see what's going on next and they need to either work together or else need to be competition for each other and Marcus starts or Owen starts yeah. if they're not able to work together on a pitch Yeah because like, I can understand that position entirely because the one thing from watching England throughout this Six Nations is that generally they've not been creating a huge amount we talk about how Ireland have been great in the back row and you know it's been Caelan Doris Josh van der Fleer and Peter Manny carrying for so many metres and Doris particularly has been getting on the end of moves and Ireland's forwards have been uh, racking up some points during this tournament while in England's case and I particularly think back to the first couple of games they've not carried particularly well in the forwards so therefore if there's going to be that bit of creativity it's probably going to come from that 10-12 channel realistically Yeah and I think forwards will do what you ask them to do okay so if you set a plan out do and get us go go for a ball and I suppose get the, the ball in, into the likes of Max Malins and kind of into Stewart out at full back why not? Unless the, is it the aerial game they want to play? I just I don't know what kind of game England is trying to play at the minute. I don't know if it's aerial, if they're trying to run it, if they're trying to kick it. Um, so it's it's up to them to either. 
decide and use the Six Nations as a positive thing to try and see what works and what doesn't work. But they need to try something to be a bit more consistent in their approach to it. Uh, because at the minute, just the, the chopping and changing at 10, uh, which is not injury enforced, is a bit of an issue. Uh, Michelle, when it comes to France uh, coming into this weekend, what have you made of their defence of the title? Because many people have felt not been all that impressive, uh, yet they got the result against Scotland. They remain in the title race going into this weekend if they can get a bonus point win at Twickenham. What have you made of France so far in the tournament? Um, I think they're very exciting in, in that the, their state of play, they, they have the ball and they're in the 22, they might score. And that's kind of the what they bring. And I suppose with Dupont and Tamak, there again you've consistency you've selection and Dupont's such a, a magician of what he can do at times and there's such knowledge and like um, leadership across the pitch and uh, Fiku back in there at centre is going to be incredible for them uh, in what they're going to do with the ball um, because they're electric in attack and I think very much their focus has been about getting right at the World Cup at the end of this year as opposed to the Six Nations. They talk about this being almost a eight-year plan that France have had that they put in place when they knew they were going to host the World Cup in 2023. And I think there have been elements, as much as they've kind of maybe flattered to deceive a little bit and people look back at Rome where they weren't great that day, but still that game against Ireland, which was a bit of a classic, they were excellent at different stages in Dublin during that game. Yeah, and that's kind of what France can do. And obviously, if they have a home World Cup, they're going to try their best. No matter if they get enough notice, they're going to have their plan in place in order to put like their best team on the pitch when it comes to their home World Cup. But at the minute, you can see throughout their selection that they're going so well with their ability to put pop people in. And I just think Entomac is just um, the key to their, their style as well. They just understand what they're going to do. And that comes, again, back to consistency point of they just know what they're going to do. They know what they're going to do in certain parts of the pitch. And they throw that offload. They throw that ball knowing someone will be there because that's obviously how they train. That's how they play. And that's where the the expectation they have for each other on the pitch. Mm. Keane is back with us now. I think uh, those in Edinburgh uh, maybe killed the Wi-Fi within the hotel room to uh, try and stop them talking up Scotland. But I was just going to ask you, Keane, about what you think of England's situation here. We're now... It seemed like Smith was going to be in the wilderness a couple of weeks ago and now here he is back in to start. What do you think about this decision they made at 10? Yeah, sorry Will, I lost you there. Not having a, not having a great day, all things told. Ah, look, it'll, it'll improve along the way. Do you think Portwick <laughs> has made the right decision in backing Smith at 10 for this weekend then? Well, yeah, I was just going to say just before it got cut off, like, I mean, the risk of getting, a, you know, a new head coach in at this stage of a World Cup cycle was always going to be that there had to be a period of transition in terms of, you know, Borthwick putting his own stamp and things. And I have to say, I'm very surprised that he's gone with Marcus Smith just purely because I wouldn't have seen him as a Steve Borthwick type player. I actually thought if, if any out half was going to come in and play ahead of um, Owen Farrell, it was going to be George Ford, particularly mm-hmm. because of the work that he did with him at Leicester Tigers. So um, it's interesting because it, it, it points to maybe England trying to play, Like, and I was listening to Michelle there and I agree with what she was saying. It points to England maybe looking to play in a different type of style, but I'm just not convinced that that's the style that you know, it was kind of suits this kind of England, um, this England side. And I suppose the, the ironic thing is I heard you talking there just about the French team. I mean, with Jonathan Dante coming back in, I think Owen Farrell, this is the game you'd probably want Owen Farrell at 10, defending in that 10 channel because Marcus Smith is going to have however many kilos, 100 and odd um, of Jonathan Dante running down his 10 channel, I would say all afternoon. And if there's one 
you know, Martin Smith is such a gifted player, but it's a one side of his game, which maybe isn't the strongest, is his defence. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see how that pans out. So, yeah, like I, I would be slow to think it's a, it's a changing of the guard. I think a lot of people thought that Borthwick had backed himself into a corner by naming Owen Farrell his captain because to drop your captain is obviously going to get headlines. But, you know, when he released Marcus Smith out of the squad last week, I think um, England had kind of a similar week to Ireland. They had like a two or three day training camp. I think it was down in, in Brighton. But the fact that Marcus Smith got released to play for Harlequins, and now he did, but he got man the match in uh, in a big win for Harlequins against Exeter Twickenham. But, that, I think, suggested that he wouldn't be part of the plan. So it's interesting to get your head around it because that's three days of training that Marcus Smith missed in England. And then, like, all well and good that he went and he played well for for Harlequins. But he's coming back in now to test rugby and he's playing, you know, alongside Ollie, Ollie Lawrence and who I think will be really important to him. You know, I spoke earlier about the balance of that Scottish team and I think England have a better balance with Ollie Lawrence at 12 because he can do a bit of both. And I think when Smith is playing for Harlequins, he's got Andre Estes in outside of him, who's a big, strong, powerful ball carrier. And there's a bit of that in Ollie Lawrence as well. And then you have Henry Slade outside of him to provide the balance. So it's very, very interesting. If Marcus Smith goes well, and if England win, you know, it could it could be a changing of the guard. But I think, you know, it goes back to the point that I made earlier, Will, in terms of like, you know, the Irish veterans like Conor Murray and Peter O'Mahony. I think it applies to all nations, really. People are too slow to write off a player like Owen Farrell. And I think there's still plenty left in him, too. Yeah, I mean, Brian just got said to us a few weeks ago, we were asking him about, you know, options that England have. And he felt that Farrell has to be in the team because of what he brings. And one of the things he was pointing to was, his leadership and also what he does defensively on that side of the ball as well. His feeling was if he's not going to be at out half, he probably should be at number 12. And I think you make a good point that you want to have someone a little bit more powerful inside Marcus Smith if Marcus Smith is who you're going to back. Maybe the two don't work as a combination and you have to pick one or the other. But to me, I don't know, maybe they go a totally different direction, but it almost feels unthinkable that Owen Farrell wouldn't be selected in a first choice England team. Yeah, I agree. And I just don't think the Smith-Farrell combination has worked. Like, I mean, you think back to the the Lions tour when Johnny Sexton and Owen Farrell played really well as a 10-12 combo. But it's not as easy as just putting two out halves. And Michelle would certainly know this a a lot better than I would. But it's not as easy as just playing two 10s at 10 and 12 and saying, okay, go and work it. Like, particularly it depends on you know, every out half has an ego. Like, they want to be the one running the team. So um, it's a bit of a juggling at in terms of you know trying to get the play, the, the best out of a player like Marcus Smith whose ceiling looks to be so so high but also not ignoring the fact that Owen Farrell is still one of the best 10s in the world so um, it's interesting I think Nick Evans has come in for the Six Nations as attack coach and I would say the selection of uh, Marcus Smith Nick Evans is obviously the attack coach with, with Harlequins as well so I would say he's uh, he's having a big say in this team selection as well which is interesting because there's a bit of talk that he might not be staying on to the World Cup with Richard, Richard Wigglesworth coming in so that's one to watch as well maybe Bortwick is delegating a little bit more and you know that's the sign I think of a good coach Andy Farrell does it so well in terms of the influence that Paul O'Connell has in the team. So, uh, like I said, if Marcus Smith shoots the lights out tomorrow and England beat France, then we could be looking at um, a changing of the guard. But yeah, like I said, I wouldn't write, I wouldn't write Farrell off just yet. Mm. Michelle, I'll word this very carefully. In recent years with Ireland, there was a lot of chopping and changing at the number 10 position with the women's team. When you're playing at centre... Do you want a situation whereby you know exactly who's going to be at out half? Because there were different times there as well where players who have been at 10 moved to 12 within your team. 
Like, do you want the continuity when you're playing at centre to know your number 10 and to know what that combination is going to be? Like, the 10s think very differently. And even if you, uh, Marcus versus Owen Farrell, like, they're completely two different players. So if you're going to be playing outside them, be it at 12 or 13 or 9, they, they run the lines different. They command the ball different. And you need to understand what they want to do in certain positions. Like, are they risk averse or are they willing to take a risk? Are they willing to do the cross field kick? Or do they want to play at the 22? Or do they want to see what happens? And I think that dictates how the team plays, is their ability to either take the risk or not. Uh, like, say, Froby, there's nothing wrong with it when it wins. But when it doesn't, it's boring. And if you've consistency after 10 on whatever it is, you'll back them. Uh, whereas if you're, you're swapping from risk adverse to risky play it's very difficult to understand what they want uh, and kind of what the players around them want from that Keane we look at Italy against Wales the other game tomorrow afternoon Italy will probably enjoy the plaudits maybe they're getting for the style of rugby they're playing under Kieran Crowley and particularly against Ireland last time out they showed just how good they can be at different times during that game how important is it for Italy to convert these performances into a result against the Wales team who are completely reeling going into this game? Oh yeah, it's massive. I think um, I was over in Rome a couple of weeks ago and kind of the, the demeanour of Kieran Crowley, their head coach afterwards, I think spoke volumes that, you know, they were obviously gutted to lose the match, but they felt like that the scoreline was actually much closer than what it was. And, you know, obviously we, we have a tendency to look at it through the prism of kind of green tinted glasses and, you know, defensively in the centre, Ireland weren't great that day. But so much of that was because of how well Italy played. And that's not being patronising at all. They ask questions of Ireland that I don't think they've been asked in the Six Nations before. So um, it's all well and good getting plaudits like that. You're right, Will, but they need to have the, the results to back it up. And look, they beat Wales last year. Uh, there's nothing to say they can't go and do it again. I think Ange Capuazzo is a massive loss to them just even in terms of the the energy and the spark that he gives um it was amazing actually being in the Stadio Olimpico a couple of weeks ago like anytime he got on the ball there was just like this surge of electricity went around the crowd like he's a guy who you know makes like supporters get up off their seats so he's going to be a bit of a loss um Tommaso Allen is coming in at fullback and you know we've just spent a few minutes there talking about you know, two tens playing ten twelve, but Tommaso Allen is far more comfortable at ten. But having Paolo Garbisi back is is vital, really. And we saw the difference that he made against Ireland. And um, he got his big move to Montpellier. He's been playing. He's been injured, but when he has been fit, he's been playing really well in the top fourteen. So you're having guys in this Italy team. Will who are kind of you know they're making they're making waves outside of the likes of Zebra and Treviso. Capuazzo is obviously in with Toulouse, but um, they do without a doubt they're moving in the right direction. But like it's so so important that they get at, like a victory to, to to back it up. And you know Warren Gatland has kind of rung the changes again. Like he you know we speak about Steve Borthwick trying to put his stamp in the team. Um, it looks like Gatlin doesn't know whether he's coming or going in terms of sticking with the the golden oldies or kind of blending youth. And he's gone for a bit of a balance here uh, tomorrow. But, um, you know, it's it's really set up to be a, a cracking game. And it's one I think that Italy can win. Yeah, as well, Keane, when it comes to it, like we can't overlook the fact that the Welsh have had 
such a horrible time off the pitch coming into this and when you've got players who are having to consider their future within Welsh rugby during the middle of it where they're going to go on strike and I was reading Gatlin's comments during the week and even when he talks about the fact that it split some of the players within the group that makes it incredibly difficult for even a returning head coach who'd be familiar with these players and many of his old stagers have played in the first few games of this championship but that's an almost impossible situation to have a cohesive unit with Wales when that's what's happening in the background. Oh, it's it's absolutely horrible. I mean, you've had players coming out and speaking about, you know, they're struggling to pay their mortgage. Like, I mean, we kind of tend to forget that like professional rugby players are normal people at the end of the day and they still have the same life pressures. So um, it's really terrible what's going on in Wales. I find it interesting that Gatlin has basically said that he didn't realise the, the extent of what was going on before he signed up. Like I, when I heard that Gatlin was coming back and that, you know, he was going to have kind of an overarching role, like not just the head coach going forward, I was thinking, okay, you know, he's going to be the one who's going to come back in and I suppose shake things up. Like he was there in the past. He's, he's not immune to the problems that existed, but to come out and say that he wasn't aware of the depth of the issues I thought was alarming really. And it's, you know, it's away from that as well. You have this, the alleged sexism issues and stuff that's going on. So Welsh rugby is in, is in, ter- is in turmoil. And in the past, you know, when Warren Gatlin was in charge, like his greatest skill was bringing all those players together and just like, you know, ignoring the fact that the regions weren't playing well. And once they put on their jersey, the, the red jersey, they just seemed to turn into different players. But that hasn't happened this time around. And I wonder like what's going on in Warren Gatlin's head. Is he kind of regretting the decision to come back? Because it was always going to be a massive job, but I think the job that he has in his hands is probably far greater than he imagined. And that goes, that that's obviously extenuating circumstances which going on off the field as well, Will. Yeah, completely. Michelle, give us a prediction. What's going to happen tomorrow? Even without their best player, can Italy uh, inflict more misery on Wales and Rome? Sorry, do you got cut off? Is, can you repeat the question? I was going to say, how do you see it going tomorrow? Can Italy put more misery onto Wales then? Oh, 100%. I can see Italy uh, running away with this game tomorrow. I just think with the kind of changes that have happened in Wales rugby and the, I think there's a potential there in the midfield. Like Owen Williams is at 10 for Wales. He's got his first cap after five years uh, there last week. Um, so he hasn't made an appearance and just no Dan Bigger, no Alvin Jones. There's just a lot of big names that are missing for Wales and they can either... It's a, yes, it is a mix of youth and experience, but I don't know if that mix is the right kind of um, way for them to go forward and I think it was just a bad weekend for Wales. And I looked up today, Wales won the Six Nations 2021. What's happened um, is just kind of been very strange because the group of players hasn't been that much of a change. So obviously the outside influences yeah. been very poor on um, Wales. It's been a remarkable change. I remember sitting at the Principality in 2019 and watching them win a slam and you're just thinking there's the potential for success to go on here and so many of the players are there. It's almost like there's a a misgeneration between those who are in their 30s and those who are coming through at the moment. Michelle, it's been a pleasure. Keen, have a great weekend in one of the great away trips in Six Nations as well. Thanks very much and thanks for your patience. (laughs) No problem. Uh, the, Six, the, the Six Nations show here with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. The Six Nations show on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.